0: Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen podcast with Alison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea, living on a newly created family farm in northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Hello Andrea. Hello Alison. Really nice to talk to you again and I'm so excited about our topic this week which is what we're both fermenting right now, what's going on in our kitchen, what's bubbling and I get so excited to think about all the wonderful transformations and bubbles and bacteria and flavours and adventures that are happening so I love to hear what's going on in another kitchen apart from mine. Looking forward to hearing what you've got going on. I'm so ready to talk about it. (laughs) Cool. Okay, before we start, let's do our kind of normal beginning of the podcast thing. And I want to (laughs) hear, it's evening your time. Tell me what you have eaten for your supper this evening.
1: Ooh, we had a delicious three cheese quiche.
0: It was so good. What were the three cheeses?
1: Uh, Gruyere. Don't know if mm-hmm. I said that right. <laughs> yeah, I think you did, yeah. Okay, a raw white cheddar and a Colby mm. Jack. I
0: don't know what a Colby Jack is. Sounds nice, though.
1: It's a really soft, I, I don't really know specifically, but it's really soft, kind of like cheddar. But boy, it was good, and it was just a good way to use up half a dozen eggs.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, because your are chickens, you've got so many eggs. It's the
1: best. It's, uh, I can't get over... The eggs are just this perfect little pocket of nutrition and meat and just life.
0: And flavor. <laughs> they're mm. so
1: magical. Absolutely. I mean, there nothing compares with this kind of egg.
0: Mm. Talking about using up things. Um, I've just had breakfast because Yum. it's morning my time. And um, <laughs> I've kind of got a bit of a story behind my breakfast. We're going to a regular farmer's market here on a Thursday evening to try and literally rid supermarkets from our lives and there it. are um, lots of local producers I and mean, it's a real farmer's market. They're actually growing them and making the stuff themselves, the people who are That's there. It's fantastic. And it was a really exciting one this week. There were lots more people there. There were basket weavers and musicians and there was a little um, store where they were doing a seed swap. It was really encouraging and wow. really exciting. And we started talking to uh, a couple who have... Um, uh, kind of a, a big piece of land which is just close to here which they got two years ago and it was completely dilapidated kind of just disused wow. and they're slowly trying to bring it back to life and they've got all the kind of indigenous trees that were there before they moved in and so they're trying to make produce with what they've got as well as systemize everything to make it better and so they had Lots of chestnuts and chestnut flour, and the husband makes vinegars, and the vinegars were amazing—absolutely oh, delicious, amazing. honey vinegar and onion vinegar, Mm-mm. and lots of different vinegars. But they also had lots of hazelnuts because they've got lots of hazelnut trees there. Oh, so I love hazelnuts. We we came back with a big bag of hazelnuts, and we were cracking them, making a mess everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I had some leftover millet from which we cooked yesterday and then I had a lot of these delicious hazelnuts from just around the corner on it and some local this season olive oil which just gives it a spicy kind of unctuousness it was really really delicious.
1: That sounds so perfect and I think the best food comes with stories.
0: (laughs) Yeah And and I want to go back and kind of hear more and see how how what they're yeah. doing develops and support and them, they want you know? they want you to go back <laughs> exactly it's a it's it's mutually a win-win. beneficial yes it really is absolutely. and it was really encouraging to see all this happening and particularly to see the seed swap because just so important it is for absolutely. us to be able to have control of those heritage seeds rather than yep than being the ownership of a corporation
1: i agree completely mm. all heritage every day please <laughs> mm it's okay. such a little little side line that not many you know we're not yeah. really made aware of generally yeah
0: yeah it was encouraging to see that you know there are people in our town mm-hmm. who are aware mm-hmm. of it and who are doing something you know it, that was really nice absolutely so let's talk ferments let's move on and talk about ferments and first of all I thought what we could do is just list what both of us have going on in our kitchens and then pick a few of them out because we won't have time to talk about them all, I'm sure. We can pick a few of them out, dive into them a bit deeper and, and yes. explain um, kind of the why's and the what's. So first of all, give us a list of what you've got fermenting in your kitchen at the moment.
1: Okay, well, I'll start at the top and just work my way down. Does laundry count if I'm fermenting laundry? (laughs) Just kidding.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Snap.
1: Okay. I've got oatmeal, fire cider, mustard, sauerkraut, uh, ginger Mm -hmm. carrots, hard cider. No kombucha or kefir going right now, although I do have a bunch of jars of each sourdough start on the roll and purple onions
0: nice okay we've got some overlap Mm -hmm. I've got the sauerkraut too which I always have perfect I've got my sourdough starter I haven't got a loaf kind of fermenting today but I do have some fermented millet which has been Mm -hmm. ground up and probably I'll cook it into a porridge tomorrow I've also got Jerusalem artichokes and garlic garlic's another one that I always have rolling we've got water kefir that's always rolling and then I've got two grain ferments that I'm really into at the moment. A Scottish ferment called Suwens and a Turkish ferment called Bosa. So we've got quite a nice array between the two of us.
1: We do. And we also have completely different things. So yeah. that's perfect. Wow. Okay, I love uncoordinated.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are. But. I want to start by asking you about your ciders. We might Let's just, just jump in with the drinks because really i've heard of fire cider but i don't know much about it and i've heard the term hard cider but i've never made cider so could you really talk about both your ciders and tell us what they're for why you do them um and the differences between them
1: well the fire cider or master tonic was introduced to me by a very dear friend and mentor i would say and it was given to her by one of her friends and I'm not sure mentors, but somebody who was very influential and I think we've been making it about 11 or 12 years now. I'm wow. trying to remember when she first gave it to us, but um, it's kind of like a general tonic for all the things. So you take mm. a couple hot peppers, you take ginger root, garlic, a couple bulbs of garlic, a couple onions, a big chunk of horseradish, a bunch of cilantro and turmeric root or powder. And then Mm -hmm. I actually don't skin anything except the onion. And I take some of the paper off the garlic, but I don't really get too nitty gritty about it. Mm -hmm. Then everything goes into a big food processor or blender. I use my Vitamix and just like (laughs) put it up on high. (laughs) And glycerate it. Yep. Yep. And I forgot to add that the liquid is apple cider vinegar, raw apple cider vinegar.
0: Ah, okay.
1: Yeah. So you can see that it's kind of potent. It's actually
0: disgusting, I think, but it's pretty effective. So we keep making it. Is the apple cider vinegar (laughs) like neat or is the water in there as well? you
1: can put in water. It's really mm. sort of, I would say, up to you. I used all apple cider vinegar. I figured I'll make the batch super, super strong and then I can water it down um, after the fact if I want to. It's just easier to ferment in smaller containers. So then a friend of mine and we made it together. So we made about a gallon and a half total. So then we split that between the two of us and I, I don't know if I needed to do this, but I added some active whey from my carrots that are fermenting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like I was telling you earlier when we were just chatting on Instagram, I I don't know if it was entirely necessarily necessary because of the Mm -hmm. apple cider vinegar, but it's the same method that we use for our mustard. So I thought, hey, it's not going to hurt it. So it's just going to sit. It sat on my counter for a couple of days, and now it's gonna sit in the garage for probably six weeks, and then I will strain it through a, okay, like a mesh nut nut milk bag, mm-hmm. and then the chickens will get the pulp, okay, <laughs> which is basically a tiny brick by the time I'm done wringing it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then does the liquid go this... fizzy
0: at all, or is it just it's just a still tonic?
1: Well. So here's the thing. We always made it before, according to the recipe, without adding the whey. So Mm. it has never been fizzy before. So I don't know if this is going to make it fizzy. I could probably strain it and then ferment it again with more whey. Yeah. But I'm not sure if that would even be, I'm not sure if anything would be gained by that.
0: I don't think it would. I think if you wanted a fizz, you'd have to put some form of sort of sugar in there or something on a second ferment. You'd you'd have to put a bit of fruit in or, or a bit of honey. Yeah, discussion.
1: which I don't want to do, because if you're taking a tonic for something, you're yeah. probably going to be avoiding anything sweet and probably also avoiding CO2. So yeah. um, then we just we just keep it in bottles and you can take it, you know, just preemptively as a kind of daily dose if you want to or weekly dose or whatever. Or you can take it in time of crisis. So.
0: So do you use it in particular for like, for example, colds or is there something that you keep it for and you, you think, yeah, that, that's when I use the firesider?
1: We did always use it for that. Now, the one caveat I would give is none of us has been sick in a long time. So yeah. that's probably why we haven't really got around to making it. I would say it's been over a year since anybody in our house has been sick at all um, and probably even much longer than that. But mm. It's just nice to have on hand, and when you need it, you can't, you know, it needs to already be done.
0: So, yeah, yeah, exactly. You got that six weeks of prep, right? Right. And can you use it in cooking? Could you use it as a tiny kind of bit to give some some real zing to a dish? You sure could. (laughs) Wouldn't it be like a stir fry or something you want to have that kind of ginger hot feel to it,
1: right? I, it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting, aromatically, but yeah, it wouldn't be that bad if you threw it into a, you know, a sauce or something. I don't know. Mm. I associate the specific smell with taking tonic, so I don't know. Yeah, if I would so you want don't
0: to want to, want to <laughs> put it in your food. Yeah, I just get that, that
1: specific combination.
0: So tell us then about the hard cider. What's what's that?
1: Okay, so I've done hard cider two ways. The way I'm doing it now is the second way, and I don't think I like it as much. The first way I did it was early on in my career of marriage. (laughs) (laughs) I, we pressed cider with the same friend who introduced me to the Master Tonic, also taught me how to press cider. And I just poured some into a carboy and threw a oxygen exchange on top and didn't think about it it's really funny because eventually it got a little bit of mold on it Mm -hmm. after a really long time. But I thought, eh, it's probably fine. So of course I drank it. Oh, it was so good. I just, you know, kind of poured the mold off. I'm the worst person because I will try anything. And it was so good. I, I was just blown away by the absolute exquisite flavor. So then this time around when I fermented this most recent batch, then I thought, hey, I'm going to not mold this and I'll add an inoculation to it. Everybody says use champagne, use champagne uh, yeast, so I tried that. And the taste is just completely unimpressive.
0: Yeah, I can completely imagine that because it's a standardized yeast Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it it then out competes all the wild and potentially yep. the bacteria that are on all the exactly. stuff that you're putting in there, and so that nuance of flavour—it's like the difference between a wine that is made right. with a yeast inoculation, so it can taste exactly right. the same. So if you buy a Barolo or a particular type of wine yes. around the world, you know what you're getting compared to a wild fermented wine, completely right. different. Right, with the kind yeast of off the
1: skins, mm. totally different. Yeah, I'm glad I did it because now I know. Yeah. You know, I scratch that itch getting to yeah. try it. But I think that I would rather run the risk of molding it
0: and do it
1: the, you know, the other way. What
0: color was your mold? Do you remember?
1: Uh, white, I think.
0: So is it like, it was, was it calm yeast ago. on the top of it, perhaps, instead of it some kind of been. more dreadful mold? It may have Because I've had kind of lots of experience with calm yeast and it doesn't look very nice but it's not actually no. harmful to ingest whereas some of well, the other, see, molds, I had oh.
1: I had never fermented anything before as far as uh. I know as far as I can recall because that was right when I got married that we did that and um I don't think I had ever fermented anything in my life I don't think it ever crossed my mind and but I knew enough about acidity and canning to know well it ain't gonna be botulism so <laughs> mm. <laughs> don't recommend drinking mold just for the record I no, should say no. but but I, you'd be shocked how many times I've I've peeled mold off the top of a ferment and said and eh, this looks just fine and eat the bottom.
0: <laughs> yeah it's a it's a fine line because it's horrible to throw produce away and I know that you know, when I've yes. I've read Sandor, the, the god of fermenting, he's has a mm-hmm. not a lack not a laxadaisical attitude towards mold, but it's not a little a paranoid <laughs> not paranoid I would say yeah. attitude towards mold. I think mold. he and
1: influenced me. He definitely mm. influenced me to just like shovel up because I remember distinctly in one of his books he goes I just peel back the mold and eat the stuff yeah. underneath and I was like well that sounds great to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm <on> this side. <laughs> Well, now with the chickens I guess I don't I wouldn't feel bad about discarding it if I needed yeah. to because they would just gobble it up.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. And how much have you made of this? What quantities do you make it in?
1: Of what? The hard cider?
0: Yeah, the hard cider.
1: Probably four gallons, I think. I'm trying to remember. I think it's there's four gallon carboys, maybe five.
0: Okay. And and you drink it and your husband drinks it?
1: Well, we don't really like it, so. (laughs) What are you going to do with it? (laughs) I don't know. See if chickens can get drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm not sure. Maybe a listener will message me and they can take it. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you can't, you can't do anything about it once you put that yeast in there. You can't salvage it. No, you can't go and spoon up some wild yeast to overrun there's it. There's no reversing
1: you know? it, but mm. I don't know. We Maybe we'll just drink it we have friends coming over or something and we'll just, you know, <laughs> tell them it's really good and <laughs> they should enjoy it. <laughs> we'll give it, give them a bottle. <laughs>
0: that's that's the thing with fermenting it's always an experiment you know and you change one thing and it you is. just don't know what's going to happen and you don't know whether you're going to like it or whether it's even going to work so that, it's an adventure
1: I think you put your finger on exactly why it fell out of disfavor when food became industrialized is because mm. it is always so different
0: yeah and I, and I think that's fascinating yeah absolutely fascinating that kind of moves me on to the to the bosa that I'm making at the moment because I've been experimenting yeah. with different expressions. I of need that. to hear
1: more about this. You keep referring to it, but we need more information. <laughs> I'm probably with the majority of the listeners that would say the what? <laughs> you called yeah, me well, a what? <laughs> I
0: think I, kind I'm of pronouncing it properly, but I don't know. The etymology of it is there's several different words because it's been made in various different regions. Around kind of Eastern Europe, Bulgaria, Romania, Turkey, and they all have slightly different names for it. Um, It's a drink made with cooked millet, and it's lacto-fermented. And Mm. it's thick, and it's fizzy, and it's a little bit sweet. Not very sweet, because I ferment it quite seriously. Um, And it's very tart. (laughs) And um, I started doing it I'm trying I had to think about how I stumbled why I started doing it and it was because I wanted something for my son he can't have dairy at the moment and so he can't Mm. have dairy kefir and I wanted something to kind of go with the water kefir that we give him that was a bit thicker and a bit more treaty but probiotic and I don't remember quite how I came across it but I got very excited about it and read about its history and how it it's been mentioned in Sumerian texts. There are archaeological kind of digs that have shown that fermented millet drinks were made in the eighth and ninth wow. century before the Christian era. So, such a long time ago. And it has a really checkered history. It was most popular in the Ottoman Empire in Turkey. Wow. And I remember reading. There are boza shops in Turkey now, but I remember reading in the 1600s, Istanbul had 300 shops selling boza, which
1: is just
0: astounding. I mean, it was that popular. It's
1: it's like when you go to Southern California and they have frozen yogurt shops everywhere. okay? Or Seattle and we have coffee shops on literally every corner, four corners in one intersection. Like a coffee shop. shop.
0: Like coffee shops now, 300 shops in Istanbul.
1: It sounds um, very comforting, like the drink, the way you described it.
0: Sounds very comforting. They used to, I think they used to feed it to soldiers to warm them and to give them strength. Because it's also, you know, it's got some calories, got some calories in it too. And um, basically I cooked the millet and then I made up a starter myself. You can, you know, you could go to Turkey, I presume, and buy a starter. Um, But I made the starter myself after doing kind of research in various places on the internet. I tried it and I tried it again. And I managed to Mm -hmm. make myself a starter. Pretty much like you'd make a sourdough starter. But it has the inclusion of sugar. So it's like a kefir would work, a water kefir. You know, you put the sugar in and the bacteria eat the sugar and lacto-ferment and produce a little bit of alcohol, tiny bit of alcohol, and the lactic acid and give you that tart flavour. And um, so so once I made the starter, I... I just kind of made up the quantities myself and it and it kind of worked. And my son absolutely loves it. It's he has it cold usually. Well you could warm it up. Um and he drinks it sometimes with a spoon if I've made it a bit thicker. It's kind of mm. sometimes I make it Greek yogurt consistency, sometimes a bit thinner. And I've been playing around with different grains recently. We like the millet and the reason I did millet to start with was because we've been experimenting with eating lectin-free and millet is a lectin-free grain as well as being a grain that's grown very close to us here in Italy. So that's why I went with millet. Um, Traditionally, it's also been made with corn and with wheat. I started experimenting making it with um, sorghum, which is also a local grain here and is also um, lectin-free. And that sorghum one... It's just as delicious as the millet. I've been trying oh. out other sweeteners like um, honey and some really dark sugar, just to see the different flavour profiles that um, it creates. And I'm hoping to try some add-ins, maybe blending in some different spices, some warming spices, or some orange zest to make some different flavoured ones as well. Because it's exciting for my son um, to have all these all these different drinks, and it and it's just a beautiful beautiful drink with so many um, probiotics in that is thick and you could put on desserts or you could add it to the tops of things you could use it as a kind of as you'd use a yogurt um, and it's dairy free and it's if you make it with millet it's lectin free it's gluten free and he's wonderful. I'm not a, sales, I'm a salesman for you Bowser. Know,
1: <laughs> Your poor son. How is he going go to go into school or anything like that when he's older? He's not going to be able to get his hands on these foods. <laughs> his no, memory think comfort foods.
0: <laughs> he's gonna. He's gonna be cooking. I think. I, I can't oh, see any be. other. I can't see any other way.
1: <laughs> what a foundation he has. And okay, you kind of teased me about this earlier and please tell mm. me that it will be true. Is there mm. gonna be a way that we can learn more about this from you? <laughs> please say yes.
0: <laughs> I hope so. What my plan well my plans are to try to put together a little course with videos and worksheets and audios where I explain what boza is and explain a bit about its history and then show how to make the starter because you've actually got to make the starter yourself if you want to have a go at it before you make the drink and then put all the different things i've tried so people know how to make it what to do and just handhold them through hopefully with some videos i'm hoping to do that this summer um so yeah just stay tuned to to me I'm not going to yeah. stop experimenting. So I'm, there's going to be lots of boza pictures on my Instagram.
1: <laughs> I'm pre-registering right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's What's actually interesting about it is that I've never been to Turkey and I've never tasted boza. I've met people who have. And I think the boza in Turkey is much, much, much sweeter than mine. Because I think what they do is they ferment it and then they add sugar mm. before they serve it. Their traditional way of serving is to um, cook some chickpeas and put the chickpeas on the top and then put cinnamon on top of it but I oh, think my just like I mean originally probably it wouldn't have been very sweet because in the times that it was made sugar was not a commodity like it is now it was not available no so I think originally no. it would have been a tart drink but obviously what's happened now the whole world is used to coca-cola and and milk chocolate,
1: right, it's right. had
0: to change in order to meet the needs of what the general culture taste is. And I think if I went to Turkey, I'd probably be completely shocked by how much sugar was in it. And, and we're having it basically with all, virtually all the sugar turned into that lactic acid and that fizz. So it is boza, but I don't really know whether it's kind of boza as it is now in Turkey.
1: You said that you have met some people who had boza and I'm just sitting here in my head trying to figure out how that conversation came about. I've never even heard of boza and you just talked to somebody like, "By the way, <laughs> do you it, drink it was,
0: boza?" <laughs> it was on it was on Instagram. It was a virtual meet. It wasn't a real meet. It, it was a virtual.
1: Oh, me. that's awesome. Wow, that's so cool that you were able to find somebody that I was drinking it and
0: yeah there's awesome. there's there's a woman who was drinking and there's also um i met a woman who actually lives in istanbul who was telling me and about boza so i've learned some things just wow. from the wonderful world of instagram so speaking
1: of boza can I ask you mm. about your other oddly pronounced name, Sewins? <laughs>
0: if I can pronounce it properly, yeah. So Suans. <laughs> thank you. Sewins is actually spelled S-O-W-A-N-S, which, from where I come from in the southeast of England, originally I would say Soans, but right, it's a which is how ferment. I well would you say? Okay, I,
1: I read it. I read it like sowans until. You did a video on Instagram where you mm. said the name and I thought, oh no, I've been saying it wrong in my head all this time.
0: <laughs> I, I was saying it wrong out loud for weeks and weeks and <laughs> weeks because it's a, it's a Scottish ferment. So that with a, the with a Scottish accent and the etymology of the word um, it's actually pronounced soons, soons.
1: Soons, okay. Mm. And tell me and all of us, <laughs> Please tell me a little bit
0: about it. I know you touched okay. on it before, but I I need to yeah. hear more about this. Okay, so suins is made with oats, which is obviously the everyone knows oats relating to Scotland. Of course, and it's it's a ferment from Scotland that I think is first referenced in a book in about fifteen hundred, and it. It's a really, really interesting for men. I was I was really drawn into kind of a, a whirlpool of, of interest and excitement and curiosity about it because it was made originally with waste. So what would happen is the people would grow the oats in Scotland and then they'd take them to the mill in order for them to be rolled to make rolled porridge oats. And after mm-hmm. that process had happened, there would be waste. And that waste was the hull, the husk of the oat... And the tiny bits of starch that were still left attached to that husk after the milling. So it was a large part bran, but also lots of tiny, tiny bits of the endosperm, as it's called, the white bit of the oats. Mm -hmm. And the people would go to the mill and get their rolled oats, but they'd also get a bag of this waste, which was called SIDS, I believe. And they didn't want to waste it. So what they do right. is they put it in a, in a jar with water and they ferment it. No starter, no sugar, no additions, just oats and water. And as I have learned from from doing sourdough, my starter works better when I use a whole meal flour, so one with the bran in it, mm. a whole grain flour. And I think it's fascinating here that that this traditional ferment uses the bran which has such a large capacity for a diverse, strong fermenting culture on it because of the microbes on it. Right.
1: Well, and it was outside the whole time. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's been outside. So what they do is they ferment that depending on the temperature. I mean, I do it in my proofing box. We've got to set up my DIY proofing box. And I like everything really (laughs) fermenty. So I do it for (laughs) a week. And it goes Yum. into two products, basically. What you do after it's fermented, you strain off the bran and then you give that to the chickens or put it back into the earth via composting. And then you have, you're left with two products. You're left with the white bits of starch that were originally clinging to the bran. And then you have a liquid on the top. And you can drink that liquid Uh, You can warm it up, you can use it as a starter in other ferments, you can use it in breads. And then the bit at the bottom, the paste, the white paste, we have it as a porridge. And it is a wonderful porridge. It's so pre-digested that it goes down like a dream. My husband has trouble with oats, but he doesn't have any problems with, with this. I
1: can't even imagine... This Eat. this is the food that you would want to be feeding like your toddlers, yeah, and your invalids it. and you know people trying to recover their health. I mean, this is magic right here.
0: I remember reading in Wild Fermentation that um, there was a study that said that um, infants that were fed on fermented porridges or weaned oh, yes. on fermented porridges generally had better health mm-hmm. than those who weren't. And this is of a course. you know a seven day fermented porridge kind of gruel and it's it's so sour <laughs> and so Yum. good and so we cook it up Yum. and it's soft it's like it cooks like clouds it's like having clouds for breakfast <laughs> and are then, you
1: is this a commercial for suins <laughs> no,
0: no I love it I love <laughs> it so much can you see how excited I am and um I have mine savoury because I'm not really a, a sweet eater so I put um usually linseed and miso mix it in and my sun puts some sweet things on banana or, or you know mm. orange and nuts and i use it also i've used it in bread i'm working on a bread recipe to use that as a porridge in the bread and i know mm-hmm. it can be Perfect. used as some some people use it as a kind of a yogurty substitute because it's um it's not dairy the thing right. that really oh man
1: you could throw that in any any blending exactly. drink
0: too the thing that um really appealed to us at the beginning it was about the same time that we were going trying to eat less lectins and it's it's getting rid of the bran so it's not imbibing that bran and the bran of any grain holds the most lectin potential in it so we use that bran to get these wonderful probiotics and to get this wonderful fermentation happening but then we take the potentially the bit that has the most possibility to be right. a trouble to digest and we give it back to the earth or we give it to the chickens.
1: I love it.
0: And so that suits kind of the direction we're heading at the moment. Um and yeah, I, I just I got so excited when I heard about it that I just I had to know about it and I had to make it and, and we we tend to do it every other week now, so we have we have it fermenting for a week and, and and then at the weekend I've got some and it lasts a week and then the next next weekend we make some more. That's
1: I'm Yes. <laughs> so you know about it now. You like it. We're all we're all drooling. <laughs> Excellent. So it's really you,
0: Yeah, it's really nice.
1: Now I I know we both are doing sourdough right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanna ask you how you feed your sourdough and then I'll say how I feed mine and we we'll what okay say great similar
0: so my sourdough starter is rye completely I don't bother with any other grains and I use whole grain rye because it just works for me that way and mm. I don't really have a schedule I don't really have you know I'm not the best person to to pass on oh yes I feed it every day and I do this I don't I have a glass jar with it in, in the fridge, and I tend to make it um, quite low hydration because I find it can go longer in the fridge between feeds if it's a low hydration. Oh, nice. I make it about 70% hydration, so it's quite a thick paste to stir, Uh and then I'll just feed it with my whole grain rye, a spoonful of the old stuff, stir it together, and then I bang it straight back in the fridge and after after literally a day it will be ready to use to make a um, a leaven for a new bread and sometimes I forget and I smell it and I think oh that's a bit strong and then I think (laughs) I've got to I've got to feed it again but it's just it's one jar in my fridge and I I probably feed it once a week I would say
1: well and rye is well rye is also pretty notorious for being such a good leavener yeah It is. In in sourdoughs, so. Well, I told you we haven't done any sourdough for a long time because we haven't had wheat for a while. Mm. But I still have quite a lot of wheat and quite a lot of rye, so I decided to start fermenting again. So Mm -hmm. I just kicked up a sourdough start. Let's see, I think it's been on the counter for a week and a half now. So um, right now I'm just building it up to, you know, bulk enough to make...
0: Some for the family. So, is that a wheat one? Yep, that's a wheat one. And do you do white flour or whole grain flour? It's
1: the only flour I have right now, which is a mm. bread flour. Mm. Um, it's an organic. I think it's white wheat because it's pretty soft, mm. and it comes from a mill that, well, it it's a not super close to us, but it's local ish mill. And what I love about them is they mill everything at a very low temperature yeah, so it doesn't right. get kind of cooked. I don't know if we're going to keep wheat around or not. I keep going back and forth and I'm like, yeah, we're not going to do it anymore. And then I'm like, but I've got a bucket of it left. So okay. <laughs> so I I might I might take a page out of your book and mix it with some rye because whenever I've done rye and wheat together, oh man, it just, it's so good. And it would kind of get us through using up that wheat a little bit and so I'm feeding it a quarter of a cup of water and then a third of a cup of flour and it is I'm feeding it every day okay so yours is quite watery yeah it's it's like a somewhere between a smoothie and syrup right now (laughs) yeah yeah. nice yeah
0: yeah so I've also got I've also got a lectin free starter in the fridge I forgot to say about that I've always kept keep a lectin- free one as well. Yeah, that's a millet starter, which and how did you? To, hmm.
1: I was going to say, how did, did you just make that starter on your own?
0: Yeah, yeah, I just did it kind of similar okay. the way you would just okay. do it with a normal rye or wheat starter, and it and it worked, right. and it and it keeps it actually gets a bit longer than the rye starter without going really kind of yeah vinegary smell, um, hmm. and we keep that on the go, lots of little jars of things in my fridge, you know. The, the door jingles I when i open it i know <laughs>
1: yep that that crashing slam the kids can't sneak anything out of there <laughs> there's too many
0: jars <laughs> while we're still on grains you've got you said oatmeal i seem to remember tell us what's going on with your oatmeal oh yeah night. so well i almost didn't put oatmeal on the list
1: because it's it's uh, almost daily thing for us so i don't remember it but we take our oats and i don't know if you've had it's called Scottish oats over here. I don't really know if that's what it is, but it's basically if you take rolled oats and kind of throw it in the blender until it's kind of, some of it's sort of flowery and some of it's bigger chunks. And I love the texture of that so much better than just the rolled oats, like the Mm -hmm. big flakes. Mm -hmm. And I guess I always thought I hated oatmeal because we had it every day when I was a kid, but then... I grew up and I was like, wow, oatmeal's really cheap. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Even the nicest, you know, this comes from a small family farm and it's all organic and it's still cheaper than, you know, I don't know, yeah. box cereal or whatever. So I take, let's see, I'll tell you exactly how I do it, which isn't what everybody's going to want to do, but it's what works for us. So I take three cups of the oats and I put that in my kettle that holds exactly. that much when it's cooked Mm -hmm. and to cook that I need nine cups of water so I pour in at least three cups of water but as much as nine cups just kind of whatever I feel like and then by morning in the morning I'll add the rest if I didn't put it all in Mm -hmm. then I pour in some kefir or yogurt Uh, or just the whey either one and I stir it all in and then I let it sit on the counter overnight or sometimes for, you know, till the next day, a, a day or two. If I don't get to it right away, then I just throw it in the fridge. So it <laughs> yeah. I don't want to mold yeah. my oatmeal. <laughs> yeah, That's the one thing I don't want to do is eat molded grains. So um, it'll go in the fridge if I, if we, for whatever reason, don't end up cooking it. But then in the morning, I make sure it has the right amount of water in it, give it a good stir, put it on the stove with a pinch of Himalayan or Celtic sea salt mm-hmm. and a big chunk of butter and I cook that I just bring it up to a boil and then turn it off and okay because it's ground up a little bit and because it's fermented it cooks so fast yeah I mean it's yeah. basically done right then but I let it sit while I prepare everyone's bowls get all the bowls and spoons out tell the kids to put their placemats down and then um, we just serve each bowl with a scoop of the oatmeal which is perfectly thick and just dreamy it's it's like a cloud (laughs) and then I add another chunk of butter because that's just yummy and some raw cream or milk and then either a little honey or some maple syrup you don't really have to add anything to it to sweeten it but of course the kids love that
0: yeah yeah I think I do similar. When we make our soons, we have rolled oats as part of it. So Mm -hmm. I generally put those in a container and then I would put probably a bit of sourdough starter in mine rather than the kefir. And then I'll leave it. And sometimes I'll just do that and I'll leave it in a glass jar in the fridge all week and then we'll just have it as and when and it's more fermented at the end of the week than the beginning of the week. Right. Or very, very often I put it in somewhere warmer and sometimes I leave it overnight, sometimes I leave it two days, and I find that it gets very funky after two days. But if you stir it in uh-huh. that, during that time, then you're much, much less likely to get mold on it. So if I leave it more than one day, I would stir it two or three times during that time right, to redistribute right. what's happening on the top of the of the right. surface we've got I haven't got any oatmeal on the go at the moment, but we've got some millet on the go. I soaked some millet. And um, then my husband made breakfast and cooked a whole load of other millet when he was supposed to cook the one that was being soaked. <laughs> so we had a load <laughs> of spare fermented millet. And um, so I said, oh, let's just put it in the blender with a bit of starter. And then we'll use it as a porridge in a couple of days. So we blended it up yesterday with a spoonful of sourdough, lectin-free st- sourdough starter in it. And now that's in the, DIY proofing box fermenting, and I think we'll probably have that for breakfast tomorrow morning. Hopefully, that sounds
1: perfect. I I think we, we touched on this a little bit on our last episode, but these foods that, you know, we're talking about, set it overnight, two days, a week, but when you actually go to do the work of preparing it, you know, you pull that container out of the fridge, I can ferment mm. this and just put it in a sealed container in the fridge and leave it, and and you pull it out. I mean, you have a delicious ancestral <laughs> breakfast in yeah. no time, Minutes. flat.
0: Yeah, and and so good for you. You know, even though it's cooked, right. you might think, oh well, it hasn't got the probiotics in, but it's got the para probiotics and the postbiotics in it. So it's doing exactly. you, and it's been pre digested, so your body's not exactly. To work
1: so hard. Yes, I was going to say it's broken down, right? Yeah. So you can actually get the benefits of it, and more than likely you'll have some other probiotic at your meal anyways so
0: yeah exactly nice
1: let's awesome. talk about now- um
0: veggies <laughs> because we haven't talked about our veggies yet and and the time's ticking on and it. i know there's more because i, I want to ask about your <laughs> onions and you said mustard as well because i remember right. reading about mustard when we were doing gaps the gaps diet and seeing it yes. in that that hillary boynton book which i know you've got and thinking oh i should do that and i never got around to it so tell us about that tell us about your onions
1: okay so the onions are absolutely delicious but you take uh purple onions i suppose you could use different onions if you wanted to and i
0: slice them into rings do you mean red onions because we i i we don't kind of have Wait, purple what? onions here. I'm thinking maybe you oh. mean red onions. Well, my version is red onions. Yeah, they
1: could be. Yeah, I've
0: seen various hues. I suppose mm.
1: any onion with color, we shall say. Okay. Okay. <laughs> a decorative onion. <laughs> mm. um, so you can slice them or chop them. I like them like rings because I like to drape them on top of a piece of meat. Yeah. Or yeah. if you chop them, it's more like a relish. And then mm-hmm. I put them in, literally did the, I do, I, you, you have all these beautiful, complicated things and I do the laziest versions of everything. <laughs> so I didn't even, you know, soak them and pound them or anything. I put them in a jar and made brine. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it over brine. the top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, I made like a saltwater brine, poured it over the top. I put in all kinds of, just whatever felt good. So I think I did um yellow and brown mustard seeds caraway mm-hmm. peppercorns of course wow I think there was some garlic cloves because garlic and then because yeah made the stump. yeah of course <laughs> then I just made the sea salt and water brine poured over the top and then added some no did I add a whey to it I think I added some whey like I mm. I had a huge jar of kraut going so yeah. I think I probably pulled some out of that. Um, and then I just left it on the counter for I don't know, not a week. Maybe a week. Almost a week. Mm-hmm. And then I just put it in the fridge
0: and there it sits. What temperature is your counter? Hmm. Pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Okay. Okay. So a week at a fairly cool room temperature.
1: Yeah. It it could probably go pretty long if, if you had like a cold house i feel like our temperature fluctuates which i don't think is probably the best for the ferments because our temperature drops pretty low you know we start a fire or well we have a fire going during the day and and i keep it going up until i go to bed and then it goes out at some point after that and then by morning Mm -hmm. you wake up and the house is like 60 ish degrees which is (laughs) cold for us okay <laughs> and then um you know at some point I'll get up and then start another fire and then it takes about two hours for the whole house to get pretty warm so yeah. so then there's these big fluctuations and then I'll go into the kitchen and fire up the stove turn off the stove turn on the oven turn
0: off the oven so yeah I feel
1: like the temperature is pretty
0: pretty erratic and what do the onions taste like are they kind of softened or do you still have that flavor of the kind of the raw
1: I well they're still pretty crispy right Mm. now um I I'm I really love mustard so that's why I put the mustard scenes in there Uh, but I think if you wanted more mustard flavor maybe put in
0: some mustard powder okay that sounds good so tell us about the mustard then as you love the mustard so much let's hear about that
1: yeah so mustard I have I had made mustard before but just kind of you know, blend it and then can it type mustard. I was just canning it in jars. So it was not fermented. So this was my first foray into making uh, fermented mustard. And I got to say, I can't think of any reason to go back. (laughs) So yeah, I followed the recipe from the Hillary Boynton book that you referred to. Yeah. The Heal Your Gut Cookbook and it has well I made a pretty big batch like I used a pound of organic mustard powder so you know not everybody needs to make that big of a batch. Mm -hmm. but um organic mustard powder well okay this was my logic on that I will just back up and say is once you make this fermented mustard it will last for a really long time Mm -hmm. so I my logic was get all the jars of spices out and all the bowls and make a gigantic mess once, and then I can sort of live off of it for a year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's gonna last a year actually, but you know, you see my you see my logic here. I told you, I try to find the lazy ways around yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, no, and why that not? gives you yeah, it gives you more time for other things. So organic mustard powder, raw apple cider vinegar, uh, kraut juice and it's worth mentioning I think we did talk about this on the sauerkraut thing but I said I always make a lot more brine than I need for my kraut because I like to pull it out and use it for so many other things yeah and then sea salt organic lemon juice organic turmeric powder Mm
0: -hmm.
1: organic garlic powder and paprika so then whisk everything together Mm-hmm. and put a lid on it leave it just on your counter for two or three days and then put it in the fridge and um you know it'll i mean i suppose if it's growing mold you would know it's bad but it's
0: not so does it grow go mold. kind of airy like a paste or does all the sediment of the, it's pretty dense the powder. it's pretty dense yeah.
1: it's really bright because of the turmeric the mustard is yellow but not as bright as the turmeric um and if anybody's making mustard who has not made it before it's definitely worth noting that whether you're doing like a canned version non-lacto fermented version that you're just gonna make in like can or put in your fridge or if you're doing a lacto fermented version either one it will be so it's gonna smell like like you just want to crawl in it and like slather it all over your body. It's going to smell so good. You're going to want to eat it the day you make it, but you cannot. It will be disgusting. It will be so bitter. It has to cure. So I actually don't know how long it cures because I always just make it and then stick it in the fridge or put it in jars. And then at some point we run out of whatever we already have and take it out. So I couldn't tell you the exact length of time it takes, but yeah, don't make it the day you need it. (laughs) And have you ever made it with mustard seeds? Mm-hmm. I have. Mm. (laughs) I just took a drink at my you Yes, I (laughs) almost choked (laughs) myself. Yes, so I've done it. Um actually that's one of my favorite ways to do mustard is with partially ground and whole and completely ground. So a variety of sizes of mustard seed. Mm. I think I, I just like the texture of it, I guess. Okay, and it looks it looks really cool when <laughs> there's whole
0: seeds. I in it. remember having a uh, vinegar which was whole seeds that had in its ingredients cinnamon, and thinking how nice Ooh. it was when I tasted oh. it, and I, it kind of thinking that would be a really nice thing to try to make it. It kind sort of softened it and made it slightly sweet.
1: Well, see if you made the big batch, then <laughs> you could take and divide yeah. it into a bunch of containers and try different flavors. Because there's flavors. Y- you could make like a jalapeno one or. A, dill one you could do whatever strikes your fancy sounds lovely wow. and I think Thank you I think tell me if I'm wrong but you could use this as a paste on your chest if you had like a cough or something
0: yeah I as mean, an expectorant yeah
1: right it'd just be ready to go or on yeah. your feet isn't that what they did in the old days put it on your feet <laughs> wrap your mm. feet put you in bed yeah. <laughs> give you tea. yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, because, you know, now food is food, but food is not just food. Food is healing and curative and to be applied to the body as well in the past. You know, it's a medicine cabinet as well. Right,
1: right. Well, when you look at this and you see the same ingredients as you'd be putting in your, you know, your salve or whatever, then you can see there's.
0: Yeah. There's just no. There's that parallel. Exactly. Talking about food as medicine let me segue very smoothly into my garlic (laughs) (laughs) because the reason that I ferment garlic is because fermented garlic is just a wonderful health tonic I mean it's I've I've heard it for years on various podcasts and read articles and I know historically garlic's been used as a medicine right back to the time of Hippocrates I mean he recommends it And fermented garlic... It's hard to eat from a garlic raw. I mean, I I do do it, but it's not exactly an easy experience. (laughs) So (laughs) fermenting garlic gives you the um, benefits of having the garlic uncooked, but also gives you extra benefits of the fermentation and the things that fermentation releases, and it softens the flavour of it. So it's not got that real kind of kick, which I think comes from the allicin that's in the garlic. And we have fermented garlic every day and it's i see it as a kind of a, a a curative it could be used but also just as something to be used preventatively and just to to celebrate the wonder of garlic it's just a it's a it's a wonder drug and a wonder food and it's a really easy ferment to do literally just you know you have to peel all the garlic which is a bit of a pain but then it's just throwing whatever spices that you want and pour a brine in just like you were just describing for your onions and then leave it and usually I leave right. mine for six weeks the water generally turns either green or blue because of the sulfur mm-hmm. in the garlic <laughs> um, and then just bang it in the fridge and it, it lasts for, forever really Did you say bang it in the fridge? Bung it. Bung it in the fridge. Bung it in the fridge. Do you not say that? Hmm. No. (laughs) I've had to make sure I got it right. (laughs) I think that's an English thing. Bung it in the fridge. Well, I'm going to save that. (laughs) The other thing that I I bunged in my fridge was um, I've got an obsession with Jerusalem artichokes at the moment. Um, it started because I read that they were traditionally a forage food here in Italy at this, uh, this time of year.
1: Oh, Because um, okay. they
0: grow by the river and you could forage them. I haven't managed to forage any myself yet, but I really, really like them fermented. And again, they're just really easy. You chop them into kind of little bite-sized pieces, put whatever spices you fancy in the jar. I often put garlic in and mustard seeds, caraway seeds, black pepper, and pour a brine over it Yum. make sure that the artichokes are underneath the water with the help of a cabbage leaf or some pickle pebbles leave them for five days i leave them as a short ferment because then they're still crunchy and i have noticed that generally jerusalem artichokes have a tendency to make me a bit windy and i think as i was saying to you earlier i think that's because of the inulin the probiotic mm-hmm. the prebiotic sorry inulin in them and when you ferment them that prebiotic is used by the probiotics to some extent so then when you come to eat it there isn't so much of that to actually kind of interfere if you're not if your gut isn't used to it so and they're really crunchy and really wonderful to to kind of add as a a condiment with my sauerkraut on the side of my plate really nice
1: that is so delicious and with the garlic, um and mm. I I know there's a popular conception that garlic is a nightshade, but it is
0: not, correct? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I don't think it is no, because it's a it's it an allium. It's an a it's an allium. Yeah. It's yeah. a bulb. Yeah, it's it's not the onions so and not. the leeks. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's so not.
1: it's not a nightshade because otherwise you wouldn't be able to No, no. You know, do it with the lectin free. Okay. That's yeah, really good no, to it's know.
0: It's a bulb. Yeah
1: and what are, are you jerusalem artichokes considered a, a rhizome or a, a tuber i think They're they a are
0: tuber. a tuber tuber maybe. okay yeah okay you do you call them jerusalem artichokes because i thought that you called them sunchokes maybe or something
1: else. i i, I hear the name interchangeably so okay. i suppose either one goes but okay. yeah sunchokes for anybody who has only heard them by that name is the same thing
0: and you've got some ginger carrots on the go as well, haven't you? Which are just wonderful. Yeah, that's another
1: thing times. that I grabbed from the Hillary Boynton book.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's also really, really easy. And that and the mustard, both of those recipes are in the Nourishing Traditions book. Yeah. But I had just not ever made them before. So um, the ginger carrots are basically the same as everything you just said. <clears throat> you can take your um, carrots and ginger or you could do garlic if you prefer garlic carrots I mean that sounds Ooh, amazing have never tried those yeah and just stuff it all into a jar and then pour in your a couple of tablespoons of whey or some kraut juice if you're doing mm. dairy free as you mentioned you guys are and then filtered water to cover it and then I just left it on the counter for about I think you could leave it for up to four weeks on the counter mm. and then um, threw it in the fridge and they last a long time and they stay pretty crispy. Yeah, I remember. So if you if you have a need to use a lot of carrots or you want to store yeah. carrots, I mean, th- these are stable enough that you could just put this if you're like me and you live in a region where it gets cool in the winter, then you could just put gallons of this in the garage or wherever, you know, a, a cold pantry. And they would be perfectly fine. You know, you'd have and carrots. I love the flavor of that
0: ginger with the carrots. Mm-hmm. It's such a good mm-hmm. combo.
1: Yeah. And we put them in all kinds of stuff. So we'll take and dice them up and sprinkle them on things or slice them up. Or, you know, like if I make a salad, invariably we take out some carrots and just dice them really small. And they're perfect for salad because, you know, how if you put carrots in a salad, you have to really shred them. Otherwise, they're kind of yeah. like obnoxious little rocks (laughs) in your salad as my mom used to call it but when they're fermented they're the perfect texture to just blend in and then of course you can pull out the ginger or the garlic and use that for whatever nefarious purposes you have.
0: I've only ever done ginger carrots with grated carrot and I never thought about doing them hard.
1: Oh well see I've never done them with grated carrot never thought Mm, about that. (laughs) We have uh, a farmer near our old house who's just a very old school organic farmer in the middle of what is now suburbia around him, but wasn't, you know, he's probably been farming Mm. there since, you know, my parents were little kids. And we go out there and he has bins of the most decadent, toothsome, juicy little carrots that he calls Mm. seconds. He sells for, I think, a dollar a pound, very, very cheap. And he says, he'll tell me when I come to get them, well, nobody wants these because they're Mm. the, you know, everybody wants organic produce, but then they don't want what comes with that, which is carrots that have wormholes in them and funky things. And we just take them and we just trim out, trim off, trim out anything that we don't like. And then they're actually the perfect size and shape to stuff into jars. Yeah, exactly. Because they're pretty small, so. Uh, that's our favorite. So yeah, definitely stock up. If you find a, you know, a good farm like that, you know, get stock all, up get all you can. and <laughs> Yeah.
0: That's a great way. Get all way. you can we, and can all you we get. Sh- we should end on that because we're coming to time and it, I can't believe we fit so much in. That was really great. Thank you. Seriously, I think we covered everything on both of our lists. And our episode that we did previously, one back from this, has got more details on the sauerkraut and sourdough. So if you're interested, and haven't listened to that one go back and have a listen to that
1: absolutely this was fantastic allison thank you for chatting anything that you want
0: to add before we say goodbye uh stick
1: something in a jar and ferment it <laughs>
0: <laughs> cheers andrea cheers bye thank you so much for listening we'd love to continue the conversation come find us on instagram andrea's at farm and hearth and allison's at ancestral underscore kitchen until next time we both wish you much fun exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen